uh, be first in our lives, Lord. We, we know you are first over all things, over all creation, over all the universe. Uh, we ask that you would give us the grace that we need to surrender our hearts to be uh, a place where you reign supreme and you are on top and you are uh, first. Uh, help us to do that as we look into your word this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. If you're like me, there are days where you, maybe not just days, but weeks or months, where uh, sometimes it's harder to worship than others. Uh, you come in and there's the songs and they're on the screen and there are some of us, you know, we know these songs, but it's hard, it's hard to worship. I think a lot of times uh, what makes it difficult to worship is when we see a disconnect between worship and the rest of the world. Uh, you know, when you remember when you were in high school or junior high or whatever, and there were certain subjects you hated. And more often than not, the subjects that you hated were the subjects that you thought were the least relevant to the rest of your life. How many of you have said, you know, I, I hate math. I don't want to be a mathematician. I don't want to be an architect. I, what do I care about X's and Y's and axes and, and carry the, this over to that? And I, I don't care. Or some of you say, like, I don't want to be a doctor. Biology drives me nuts. Why do we all have to take biology? I don't care how the cells do this and that. I, I don't care about that. I want to be uh, an architect or something else. And it's those subjects that we, we see, like in the classroom, the, the teacher's all excited about it, but outside of the classroom, I don't, you, you don't get that connection. How does this connect with the rest of the real world? And I think sometimes that's it for worship for us. We come in and we hear the songs and we sing the songs and we know that, that scripturally there's something we should do when we gather together, but when we go out there into the world, we don't, we don't see it. Um, and, and I want to submit to you that I think, I think, uh, when God wants to make you into a worshiper, it's, it's more than the songs that we sing. You see worship everywhere. You see worship everywhere you look. Everywhere When you look above you, when you look around you, you see worship everywhere. I want us to look at a psalm this morning. The psalms is the, the, the hymn book of the, of the Bible, the, the worship songs of the Bible. And I want to show you how this psalm, I think, that we're going to look at today, helps us to become worshipers that see worship everywhere, around us and above us. And that's Psalm chapter 8. Let's, let's look at Psalm chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles available in front of you. Pluck that and turn sort of to the middle of the whole Bible, maybe a little bit to the left, and you'll find Psalm 8. We'll find Psalm 8. Look at how this psalm begins. It's the lyrics that fed exactly one of the songs that we sang this morning. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, if you want to know the theme of the psalm, before we read the rest of it, look at the last verse. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's like bookends, and it's letting you know, it's like a flag saying, hey, this is what this psalm is about, guys. This psalm is about worshiping the Lord because he's majestic, he's glorious, he's excellent, he's, it's majesty. It's, there's no words for how awesome this God is. And he's our Lord, and he's to be praised in all the earth. He is to be worshipped. So that's what this song is about. The rest of the stuff in the middle is to help us do that better. 
is to help us say, okay, this is the creator God. This is the God who made all things. This is the God who's over all things. He's majestic. He's glorious. And I should worship his name. And the rest of it is to, to help feed. None of us in here would disagree, I don't think. If you're a believer in here, you wouldn't disagree with verse 1 and verse 9. But we need help to get there. We need help to say, okay, I'm in that place where I can, no matter what I'm going through, when I look around me, when I look above me, I see reasons to worship God. I see why he should be worshipped. So it starts out, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Everything around me, everything around me I see. He's worthy to be praised. You've set your glory above the heavens. So now his attention is going up and he's seeing stars and planets and skies or whatever their naked eye was able to see on a, on a glorious, clear sky uh, in the evening. How majestic is your name in all the earth. How You've set your glory above the heavens. So when we look around us at the earth and when we look above us at the heavens, we should be prompted to worship. And the psalm continues to explain why. But before the psalm really explains why, verse 2 is a verse that kind of just like, if you ask me, I think it was just like thrown in there. And for the life of me, I'm, I'm going through this passage and I, and I get it because he starts talking about the stars in the sky and everything, the glory in the heaven. He talks about, you know, when we look around us. But he puts this verse in there that, that at first it's, it's hard to get, but it's weird. Listen to what it says. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. In other words, even though God is awesome, there's still people that are against God. There are still people that are anti-God. There are still people that push against him. Um, how does God deal with that? Out of the mouth of babies and infants. He establishes strength. God gains strength from our praise, from our worship. When we say you're a majestic God, he's, this is the strength of the Lord displayed through the mouths of babies and infants. That's a weird verse. This verse, though, reflects the principle throughout all of Scripture. No matter where you find yourself in Scripture, this is what God is doing. God uses the weak to shame the strong. He uses the foolish to shame the wise. This is all, this is all over the place, isn't it? I mean... He uses David to take out Goliath. David shouldn't have been the one to take out Goliath, but God is showing off. God is like, look how majestic I am. I take this little kid with a, with a little slingshot, never been in war before, and I use him to take down Goliath. Now, now, look at Jacob and Esau. Esau should have been the one. He was the older one. He was the hunter. He was the one that goes and he can kill food. He was, he was a, the stronger, the older. And Jacob was the kind of the mama's boy. He knew how to make soup. Not the head of a nation, if you're asking me. God chooses the weaker to do the strong things. God, God demonstrates his majesty by taking the weak and, and doing great things with the weak. Moses, the one that couldn't really speak, had to be the one to go and confront Pharaoh. You remember when Paul uh, was wrestling with that thorn in his flesh, and he's like, God, this is making me weak. I'm supposed to be the strong preacher, the strong church planner, the strong guy who, who, who does everything, who takes the, the floggings and the beatings and keeps coming back and for more. And I'm supposed to be this, this you know, top apostle deal. And, and this thorn is messing me up, whatever the thing was that was ailing Paul. And he kept praying over and over, God, please remove this thing. It's making me weak. And God is like, no, I'm not going to remove it because I want you to be weak. Because when you're weak, I'm strong. And so what this is saying is God uses the babies and the infants of the world to deal with his enemies. In other words, those who don't want God to have glory, God's enemies are ones that don't want God to have 
majesty and glory and power. They're against it. God uses the weak to demonstrate to the enemies that he's worthy of all praise, worthy of all glory. And so this is throughout the whole Bible. You remember in uh, Matthew chapter 11 when, when Jesus just comes to this point and he realizes like, boy, all these teachers and religious people just don't get it. No matter how much they study the Bible and study the scriptures and they're supposed to understand it, they don't get it. Uh, they, they're using religion to actually be against God. They're turning my, my house of prayer into a house of selling things and it's all upside down. And he takes a break and while the disciples are listening, he's saying, God, thank you. Thank you that you have re revealed yourself to children and have hidden yourself from the people who think they know it all. In other words, the more we say, you know what, I know it, I get it, I get it, I get the Bible, I get religion, and I get the world, I know how politics work, and I watch the news, and I can tell you what's going on. The more you're like that, the more you're against worship. But the more you're like a little kid who, who doesn't get it, you're just like, what, what is this about? Who are you, God? And you just realize it's just little old me, and, and, and you're in front of this huge God. That's the one that God uses. Remember the verse that says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the, the humble, right? This is a universal principle. This is how God operates. If you want to get in good with God, don't come like, you know what, God, let's team up. No, you can't team up. You are not my number two. You can't be my sidekick. No, you can't drive the Godmobile. You're not allowed. You know, you, you, you're just, you are just somebody who has to bow down to how awesome I am and how awesome we are. You have to recognize that you're weak, that you're humble, that you need me. Just like a little baby who can't even express words, but just like, man, man. You have to guess, is it, is it food? Is it diaper change? Is it can't even express himself or herself. A little weak child like that, that is totally dependent on mom and dad. He's saying, majesty happens when people that recognize they're totally dependent on me, like babies and infants. That's when I display my strength. That's when I display my glory. Now that verse 2 is important because it unlocks the rest of the psalm. It's stuck in there not because it's random and he didn't know what other psalm to stick it in. David stuck it in this one because it, it, it unfolds the rest of the psalm. God uses the weak to do strong things. He uses the small to demonstrate his bigness. How does he do that? By having us look up above us and all around us. First up, look above us, verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So for us to be good worshipers, we've got to recognize we're, there, there's, we're not great. We're lowly. We're small. We're, we're, not, we're not really like God. He's, he's up there. He's, a, he's above us. And he's, he's majestic in the sense that we're not majestic. And we have to get that first. One thing that God has a big billboard that God has put in place for us to constantly see that is the stars and the heavens. When I was on a cross-country road, cross road, uh, cross road trip uh, with my cousin, one night we were in Utah and then we, we just pulled off the side of the road and, and killed the lights in the car and we, and we got out and we looked up and it was just, it didn't have all the light pollution from Chicago and stuff. I mean, it was just this naked, starry sky. 
and we're shooting stars and I mean you could see you can see the Milky Way this is nuts like the spilled milk of stars in a cluster a band stretching across from horizon to horizon it was so gorgeous you can't help but think I'm just little tiny speck on a tiny speck in a tiny speck I mean it's just we're so small we're so tiny it's not about insignificance or being not important but you feel the sense of insignificance don't you when you're standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon or you're looking at at, at a, a tapestry of stars and skies a, a couple years ago I was at the planetarium in Chicago and there was this demonstrate this uh, video on black holes explaining black holes and I'm like I this is so such a mystery to me I want to know what that is narrated by Liam Neeson it's got to be good right I mean, so then you go in there I went in there and I'm looking at this stuff and they're explaining on graphs and charts and I walked out there more confused than I went in they don't know what black holes are I mean, this is, this is the more we explore and the more we try to touch what is untouchable out there, the more we realize how far it is from us and how small we are. Why did God do that? Why are there shooting stars, all these things that really, what is it out there for? It's to, to make something well up inside of us about how majestic God is. And we recognize his majesty when we start with realizing, wow, how small we are. How small we are in all this. How dare we? How dare we replace God with ourselves when, when, when we can't do anything? We can't control our days. We can't control when we're born. We can't control when we die. We can't control uh, if a meteorite is going to hit or which way the stars go or how bright the sun's going to be. We have control over none of it. And so you're forced to either go the route of, wow, everything is done by chance, or to go, wow, this is designed to prompt something in me where I have to worship. And this is where the psalmist takes us. He uses the weak. He uses the babies. He uses the infants. And the babies and the infants of the world are those that realize, boy, I look at the stars in the heavens and I realize I'm not in control. I'm not sovereign. Someone else out there is. Someone else out there has just got this tapestry. Somebody who makes stars with his fingers. I can't even, I can't even make a little sculpture with Play-Doh. You know, uh, I, I can't even... I can't even draw a picture, you know, in Pictionary before the time runs out, and I'm just trying to draw something simple. I can't even create, God with his fingers creates stars and planets and galaxies. This is, this is just beyond our comprehension, and it makes us feel like verse 4. What is man, what, who am I that you're mindful of me and that you care about me? I look all above me, and I realize that I'm this small speck, yet you care. So we see that it's true that God is worthy of worship when we look above us. And we see it's true that God is worthy of worship when we look around us. Look at verse 5. Uh, what is man that you've been mindful of me to care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. How did God, when God made man, how did God make man more glorious and more honorable than all the other creation? By putting all the other creation underneath man. He's saying, you're in charge of this stuff. Look around you, all the beasts of the field, name them. And that's where he goes in verse 6. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. God is taking all this creation that he did, the trees and the shrubs and the animals that feed on them and, and all the animal kingdom and has put it underneath the dominion of man. 
And so it's another thing that God has given us to constantly see God's majesty and go, boy. So when we look above us, we see, wow, I'm, I'm this small, tiny speck. And then we look around us, we go, even though I'm this small, tiny speck, he still puts me over all of this creation. Uh, my family loves to go to the zoo. And we love it. The kids love it, and it's, and it's, and it's nice, it's beautiful, and we have these passes and stuff to, to, to go frequently. Um, and I just, I can't, I can't get enough of looking at some of these animals. And when I see these animals, I don't see like, wow, I wonder what that looked like when it was half frog and half whatever. What I see is like, look at, that thing is alive. No one can make that. You know, if you take a frog and cut it, dissect it, and keep all the pieces of the frog in a dish, and then just put all the pieces back, how come that frog doesn't jump off the plate? Because life was taken. There, there's something that we can't manipulate or engineer, or no matter how much we understand about biology, there's something about life. And we see this life, and it takes the form of a giraffe. It takes the form of a, of a rhinoceros or whatever. And we see all these things, and, and we're like, look how majestic God is. His design and his creation, all these things are a testament to how awesome God is. And then God says, I'm mindful of you enough to put you in charge of all that. You're, you're over all that. Uh, that's why, you know, we, we, uh, we're not overrun by beasts. You know, I don't know how plausible Planet of the Apes is. You remember that movie? My, my dad showed it to me when I was growing up. I'm like, I don't get it. The apes took over? I'm, I'm, I'm confused. But I mean, like, you know, we, we have dominion over even the, the most intelligent animals, the strongest animals. We have dominion over them. Um, and that, that reminds us to worship. I, I think, like, you know, I think um, the more we can, the more we look around us and see God's majesty, the more it prompts worship inside of us. Uh, those of you who own pets, Hey, that's worship, guys. You know, pet owning should be worship. It started in the garden. You're supposed to name the thing. You're supposed to take care of the thing, feed the thing, bathe the thing. I mean, this is something you're caring for. For what? Well, a lot of us do it just because it's, it's cute and we just want something to cuddle. But I mean, theologically and biblically, the reason why that thing exists and the reason why there's something in us that kind of wants animals around or wants to be, or maybe you don't want it in your house. But you put that little birdhouse hanging in the back of the tree, and while you're eating breakfast, you just love to see the, the, the blue jay come and, and pick the seed and then go feed its little little birds up in the tree. And, and you're looking at this, and it's just awesome. Or you don't want it in your yard, but you've got Nat Geo on TV, and, and you're looking, and you see, and you see, you know what? I don't want the stink, and I don't want the bird stuff all over my patio. But look at this. Look at this. Helicopter shots of the, the migration of caribou. And you're just looking at all this stuff, and you're like, this is amazing. And Disney's got this string of movies called Earth or whatever, and you're just looking at all this creation. I mean, and then the narrator's like, oh, after five billion years, the fish was finally able to swim. You have to kind of just, okay, you know, you're looking at what this does to your heart. God did this as, as art. Sometimes I think uh, art professors get a little too technical. They look at an art piece and they're like, now look at the dimensions and, and what, what uh, Rembrandt was doing with this dimension. I'm like... I'm sure Rembrandt had some concepts of it, but I don't think Rembrandt had a book out that said, now, when you do these dimensions, he just went with it. It's just something inside of you. And art shouldn't inspire technical things to look at. Art should just inspire, like, wow. You know, for me, I look at this painting, and I'm not even sure why it strikes something in me, but it's striking to me. You know, all of God's art tapestry of the animal kingdom around us is a testament to that. Next time you pull over and look at the elk through the chain-link fence, you know, think of, the, it's worship. Like, wow, 
You know, this God is God made all this stuff and put us over all these things. So we are inspired to worship when we look up and we feel small. We're inspired to worship when we look around us and we feel like, wow, God has given us responsibility. So from stars to sparrows, it's all worship. And we see this is true when we look above and when we look around. Um, I think I think that for those of us who are kind of stuck in a gear where we're just really finding it kind of hard to worship and we're just kind of looking for the next worship CD to come out to kind of maybe better songs would do it or maybe we're just kind of looking for a different experience or something, I think go take a drive. You know, get out of Chicago for a little bit and go enjoy nature or something. Even if you're not the most out backpackish kind of guy, then book a hotel at night. At least take a hike you know, or something, or at least walk out of the hotel and, and kind of get far enough to just kind of look at a sky that's different from the sky you might be able to enjoy out here and just get that sense of awe. Um, go, go to the zoo, you know, go, go somewhere you can just look at animals and just, just look at these things and, and inspire, like, wow, this is, this is a, the God that we serve. Um, this is reason to worship. Um, and some things will inspire you more than others, but it's all there for you, whether you see a comet or you cuddle a kitten or anything in between, this is, this is worship. This is God calling you. Look how majestic I am. And you're in the middle of this. You're not big like me, but I took you and I put you above all the things that I created on the earth. Um, boy, I think, I, I think if, we, if we can get out more, and enjoy these things. If everything is just a car, a cubicle at work, come home, tuck the kids in, Netflix, go to sleep, do the routine again. Everything is electronic and everything is buildings and skyscrapers. It's a constant testament to man's ingenuity. We need to go out and expose ourselves to stuff that has nothing to do with man's ingenuity. You got to look at stuff that man can't touch and man can't fully understand. And that's when we look above us and even around us as we know we don't understand everything about animals. Uh, on a National Geographic thing, I was, it, there was a special on wolverines. You know what wolverines are. I'm not, talk, not the comic book character. That was based on an animal. And this animal is just full of mystique. And, and as they were talking about this animal, they don't know anything about it. it it's so rare. It's so hard to find. They're, they want to track them down and put those little pins on it so they can figure out how they mate and everything. And it's, it takes two scientists... I think it was two years to track down one just to put the pin on it. I mean, these are, this is the, the, even the animal kingdom. Another special that I saw after that was the, the deep abyss of the sea. You know, down where like subs can't even go before they implode. Uh, they don't know even like a third of the species that are down there. All these animals. It, it's just amazing. And as we expose ourselves to uh, what's all above us and what's all around us, um, and, and kind of just... Get, get off the iPhone for a little bit, you know, just kind of unplug for a minute from the, from the television, the cable, unless it's for Nat Geo, right, because I'm plugging it. But to expose ourselves to God's awesome creation, it should just well up something inside us. We'll go, yes, Lord, you are majestic. Your, your name is majestic over all the earth, over all creation. And so God uses the weak, the specks, of the world, of the universe, uh, to do great things. 
You know, but as we look at this psalm, it's, it's not hard to realize that it's not a perfect picture. When God originally made man, we were supposed to have dominion over thing, but, but, you know, at the same time, we've got to, we've got to, you know, realize that this is, this is kind of a broken thing. When we look above us and we see the glory, it's, it's a glory we can't touch, right? We see how awesome God is and we see like, I can't, I shouldn't even be able to worship. God is so awesome. I shouldn't even be able to come into his presence. That's why Paul wrote in Romans, you know, he said, we all fall short of the glory of God. We see his glory. We see how awesome he is. But we, we get the sense, that I fall short of that. I can't worship him because I fall short. And as much dominion as we have over the land and the sea and the animals and stuff, I mean, you, you can't just stick your hand out and a sparrow comes and then you just, they don't, but there's this division. Um, even the domestic animals sometimes are hard to domesticate. Um, you take a hike, you could be mauled by a bear. The fisherman is going fishing and he's lost out at sea and then the raft sinks and you know, a shark gets him or you think a soul surfer and she's, she has one arm missing. I thought we had dominion over animals. Yeah, but the, the sin entered in the world and, and the animal kingdom, animals are eating each other and eating up the chain and, and it's just, it's chaos. And so as we're out there in the world, we go, boy, the original plan was that we had dominion over all these animals. The original plan was that we, we can look up at the glory and the, and the stars and not sense that he's great, but not have to sense that, that I can't get to him, that I can't access him. But we do have that because sin did enter into the world. And because of that, worship is broken for us. Some of us, I think, we come in here and maybe it's hard to worship because we're not dealing with that aspect. We're not dealing with the fact that I, I can't access God. And so we're kind of worshiping up against the wall. And we're not, we're not really get, trying to get to God. We're, we're, not, we're blocked because we have sin and we're, worship is broken. And we need a mediator, right? We need somebody to come and, and bring us and bridge that gap between us and God. Now, you and I know that's Jesus Christ. But it's in the psalm as well. If you look at it, um, this psalm sets up this perfect picture. And we go, boy, that picture is broken. We need something to fix this. Um, Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. Um, Jesus became the ultimate weak person to become the ultimate strong person. I mean, you have this God man who came as a little baby. Right, so that he could rescue us and put us back into this plan of God's plan. And so Jesus became the ultimate weak person so that he can be the ultimate king and bring us back into the worship that we're supposed to have. And verse 2, Jesus quotes later in Matthew. He's in the temple and people are praising him. And he's, it's, it's this time where people are just shouting Hosanna. And there were all these little children around him, but most of them couldn't even speak yet, but they just kind of with their messed up language and their little like slurs and stuff and their speech impediments, that they're just like, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David. And they're proclaiming that Jesus basically is the one we've been waiting for, that he's king, that he's God. And then the teachers and the Pharisees come by and they're the chief priests, right? And they're like, uh, Jesus, do you hear what the kids are saying? You should stop that. Now, if I were to walk into this church one day and Kaylee and Shana and the kids and they all came and they're like, and they're like this, you know, and I'm like, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Yeah, you, you, I'll get yanked in the office and the elders will be like, what are you doing? They're supposed to go, not me, not me, the real one, God, Jesus. Yeah, I agree with that. So they come to Jesus and they're telling him, do that. There's, you have to, you have to deflect that. 
Jesus, because they're calling you God. What does Jesus do? He goes, you guys are, you guys are familiar with the Bible, right? You, you teach the Bible. You know Psalm 8, 2, where it says, Out of the mouths of babes and infants will come praise to their God. That's what they're doing. And they're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, and then he walks away. What did he just say? He says, Psalm 8, 2 is being fulfilled. That, that even though the strong people weren't able to recognize who Jesus was, God chooses the young and the weak and the humble to recognize who Jesus is. And then you look at verse 5. And those of you that are, you know, you've been around the Bible a little bit, verse 5 kind of rings a bell. Verse 5 says, you've made him a little lower. Here speaking about mankind. You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Don't turn here. I'm going to just read this to you. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But we see him, Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering and death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Do you see how the writer of Hebrews just snatched it from Psalm 8, 5? He's saying Jesus was made lower than the angels, and others, Jesus became a man, so that he could taste death for all of us who couldn't access God on our own. He did it. So Psalm 8, in one sense, is setting up this beautiful picture. God takes the lowly and raises them up. But we, 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 we mess up that picture with sin. We can't have dominion over all the things that God has put under our feet. And when we look above us and we see all his glory, we realize we can't touch it because he's too awesome. And, and there's this sin stuff in the way. Sin has to be dealt with somehow. And we can't deal with it by going on enough safaris, guys. We, we can't deal with it by just studying space a little bit more. And if I, just, if I just become an astronaut, I can just go out into space. I'll just be so surrounded by God's glory that I'll get it. You'll never get it. And so, because sin has to be dealt with. So God sent his son Jesus to be that ultimate weak person and to pave that path for us so that we can be brought back into worship and worship the majesty of our Lord. We can worship because Christ fixed the broken plan. Um, now everywhere we look above us and around us, we're reminded of the majesty of God. Uh, Tina and I took uh, her little brother and sister on a hike in the Smoky Mountains. And we did a, I think it was like an eight-mile or nine-mile trail that, that ends at a cliff. Dead Man's Cliff, I think it was called. And just there, there's no guardrails, there's no ropes, <laughs> There's no, there's just a little sign like, it's called Dead Man's Cliff for a reason or kind of thing, you know. And we just kind of get to the edge a little bit. And I could tell the kids were kind of nervous. Like they're looking and they're like, yeah, I don't want to get too close. And we didn't want to get too close. And, and I said, let's just sit here for a minute, guys. And so we sat down. I just opened up a psalm. I'm not, I, if, if I think about it, I can remember the psalm that I opened. It wasn't Psalm 8. But I opened up a psalm about the rocks and the hills and the mountains that God created because I wanted them to get a sense of how awesome God is and all this beauty that we're enjoying and the little chipmunks that cross our path and just the never-ending sky and the, the mountainscape. It's God speaking to us, worship me, I'm majestic, I am awesome. My name is beautiful over all creation, over all the earth and all the heavens. And when we get that spark inside of us, we come to God and worship his majesty through what Jesus did for us through Jesus Christ. Um, so we're, we're, we're in the se- a three-part series about worship. And, I, and I, just want, I just want to look at three psalms. This is the first one. Uh, that will just kind of incite worshipfulness in us. It, it's not about learning more songs and, and just trying to sing harder. But 
when we sing, we have to be fueled by what's out there when we come in here. We have to be fueled by what we see around us and allow those things to, to just pump into our veins how majestic God is and we have no choice but to worship him. I just want you to bow with me now and just uh, let's take a, a moment to pray before we worship um, in song together. Father, you, as you look into our hearts, you, you see what we are, you see who we are. And Lord, we, um, we recognize that we are, we're not above you, we're not equal to you, we're not next in line. You are so far above us. You, you make stars with your fingertips and you craft um, mountains with your hands and animals are alive because you've given life. And um, or no matter how far out into space we look or how far into this world, even at the DNA level, how confused our top scientists can be because our, our minds can't grasp all of this information. Um, or we're reminded to worship an all-powerful, majestic God. Lord, um, as awe-inspired as we may be, we know we can't get to you without the ultimate um, person that came to be weak so that he can make us strong. And so we want to praise you for your son, Jesus. And the most majestic, the most awesome thing you've ever done is send your son to die for us and be raised to life so we can have life with you, Lord, so we can worship you. And as a result, we ask that as we leave here this morning, that the worship wouldn't stop with the close of the service, that our worship would continue, um, that we would see you all around us in the beautiful days, even if it's a stormy day, Lord, that we would just see how you are an awesome God over all things. Um, Father, as we hear the birds chirp and the crickets cricket and the dogs bark and the kittens purr, uh, as we see all these things around us that you've put in place to remind us to worship, to remind us of how awesome you are, Lord, help us to continue to be prompted to be worship, uh, worshipful uh, children uh, who lift up praise and childlike faith in your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.